when you get there to think, do I belong here? What am I doing here? More now. Totally out of my own future. But you quickly learn that when you start to have conversations with people, that you've got something in common. I wanted to make sure there's still a future, so all the trails still. I like the idea of taking that first step. I have this idea that the kids these days need to do X, you know, or this uh, one kid in my class can't do Z, and I'm going to make a whole course to make sure it's easy. Uh, whether you're taking this Welcome to EdTrex Rewind. All right, we're here for another episode of the EdTrex Podcast. I am Matt Winters. Quinn is sadly not here today, but I do have some excellent guests here this week. Um, we're here at, in Salt Lake City talking to the Hope Street Group and their Hope Street Group Teaching Fellows. Um, and today, we're this episode, we're talking about assessment, which is amazing. So uh, we'll start over here with you, ma'am. Um, tell us your name, where you're from, um, and a little bit about yourself. I am Michelle Rogers. I teach in Jordan School District, and I have taught both fifth and sixth grade. I'm a latecomer to education, and I love learning. Awesome. Guy? Uh, my name is Guy Hill. I am originally from New York. I teach in North Carolina in Harnett County at Triton High School. I teach English grades 9 through 11, and I just completed my 22nd year of teaching. Thank you. Bravo. Thank you. Please. My name is Wendy Rush. I'm a virtual educator. I've been in virtual education since 2011. Um, I've taught special education, elementary school and high school, English language arts, and I'm currently an instructional facilitator. Fantastic. So we've got a diverse group of teachers here all over the country. Um, I, I didn't put this question on there, so this is an unproved question from your guys' supervisors, <laughs> but how did you guys get involved with the Hope Street Group? What was your impetus behind that and how did you learn about this and why are you involved with it? Let's start with that. I actually saw the um, Hope Street Group ad on the uh, DPI listserv from my state and my wife said it to me. She said me things about education all the time. And um, I had just hosted a representative uh, in our state legislature in my classroom to discuss education and I realized how little they know about education and how much they need to talk to teachers because they make decisions that affect teachers and students, and they don't understand the ramifications of their decisions. And so, when I saw, it just all kind of meshed at one time. And I thought that would, I thought Hope Street Group would be a good uh, group and a good avenue to pursue that level, that uh, part of education outside the classroom a little bit more closely. And lo and behold, that's exactly what it has done. So um, that's why I joined Hope Street Group. Wonderful. And I had the opportunity, we, we have a parent at our school who works at the STEM Action Center here downtown, and she forwarded an email that ended up in my inbox, and I had the opportunity to read through it and decide that that was something I was interested in. I was in a place in my own career where I felt a little stagnant, and I felt like Hope Street Group would add some benefit to me and to my students as I worked through this process, again, as it has done for me as well, and what a great opportunity that has come to be. Um, for me, actually, I learned about it through working with Tabitha. I've worked with her. Um, we were both mentors for um, brand new teacher candidates coming in um, to education, and then we worked together um, at um, Virtual Academy, Utah Virtual Academy, 
And then I remember seeing um, a lot of her um, booths she'd have at different conferences, and I was like, what is this Hope Street thing? And finally, when they opened it up to Utah teachers, um, I was like, I really am very intrigued about this, got involved, and um, it's been awesome. It's been an awesome year. It's awesome. Great, great answers, guys. And I'm, it's such a great organization. I'm, I'm happy to be here today. Um, let's get into the meat of what we want to talk about, though. So one of the biggest things that faces teachers on a day-to-day basis is assessment, mm-hmm. whether it be yes. summative, formative, state-run, district-run, PLC, whatever you want to go with. Um, let's talk a little bit about what does assessment look like in the 21st century. We've got tech running through everything that's happening. Um, we've got new things coming out all the time. What does it look like to you in the 21st century? Well, tech has definitely emphasized formative assessments and uh, assignments, assessments that can be done, you know, relatively quickly. Um, but also, you know, we always we we also have those state assessments that kind of loom over our heads. I know in, in North Carolina we have end of course tests, we have uh, end of grade tests for grades three through eight, end of course tests for grades nine through uh, nine and ten, and we have North Carolina final uh, exams, another state assessment for grades um, nine through twelve. Um, so anything that you do, um, you know, you have to keep those assessments in mind. And the assessments are aligned with Common Core, with our, with our Common Core goals. And so as long as you're teaching the Common Core goals, then I've found that my students do well on the assessments. Um, but it is something that, you know, has to be in the forefront and in the back of your mind, I guess, as you, as you go through the semester. Because our, part of our teacher evaluation is how well our students do, whether they show growth, whether they meet proficiency, and so um, you know those those kind of assessments are interwoven with the Common Core goals and into the assignments and the formative assessments you have the students uh, complete during class. My experience is very similar that those goals have to be in the back of your mind as you're teaching, but as long as you are focusing on the standards and the objectives of the Utah Core for us, then you should meet all of the requirements. The piece that technology has brought in for us is that it's a much quicker response for us. Rather than waiting until October to find out the data, we are able to get that data almost immediately for most of our, most of our curricular areas. And then we have a chance to mine that data, to look at it and make improvements and plans during our PLCs and our summer activities in order to better our instruction for our students for the following year, as well as inform perhaps the teachers for the future for that that particular group of students. So I, I think as difficult as testing is, the technology has brought it to a point where we're able to access that information much more quickly. Mm. Um, in Utah, we have a lot of assessments. Many schools, I think, in Utah are now do the Dibbles assessment for reading um, for K through three. We also have Keep for K, Sage for three through eleven. We have math, reading, and writing ACT as well. We also have assessments for six-week instructional cycles. We're constantly taking data. We have all sorts of programs out there like iReady. Um, to try to get standards-based um, assessment data. And then we go over that data in groups and make instructional decisions. And 
So let's let's take that for a second because I you have your cell phone out. You're looking at a list, obviously, of the different assessments. A little bit. Are students being assessed too much? Why or why not? <laughs> Ask the big question, elephant in the room. Well, it's a loaded question. Okay, yeah. I will. I'll give you my perspective as a Please parent so. and as a teacher. As a parent, I've had many conversations with parents that are like, they're, my kids are so stressed out. We had to pull them out of this charter or this school because there's so many assessments. They're so stressed out. They think they're going to fail every single time they take a test. They don't know it's for our data. They don't know it's for teacher data. They are nervous they're taking a test. So it ups that intensity for the students, um, for the teachers. We have to have the data because these talks are happening constantly. We have to show up to these PLCs with concrete numbers. And so how do we balance actually instructing students in an appropriate way where we're keeping their anxiety low but still get the data and the numbers that we need? So it's a balance for sure. So how do we work that balance? What does a balanced classroom of assessment look like? Summative, formative, state-run, how does that work? I think it's less summative, more formative. As, a, as an educator, I believe that because I am a professional, because I really do know what I'm doing, I am tracking my students anecdotally. I'm tracking them informally all day long in every process that we participate in. I try to plan activities and assignments that help me inform where my next step is. So that's a natural process of assessment. What becomes unnatural are those summative pieces that we don't actually have any part of identifying or working on. I think that a summative assessment is an appropriate assessment to take but perhaps not as often as we are required to take them. Well, you gotta have a summative because you that's how the big do. wigs get you know, their data and compare all the schools and compare this to that. But the problem with summative is kids are gonna do different on Monday than they do on Wednesday. They come to school or Friday. Or Friday. Yeah, if you test, and you're testing at the end of the year when kids are done, teachers are done, mm -hmm. and it depends on the day, what if they come in and they, what if they have test anxiety? What if they did amazing in all your formatives? They come into summative and they bomb it because they have test anxiety. Or because they're hungry or, or they're hungry, tired. Or they had a fight with their mom, mom that morning. Yeah. Or any number of things. Or they got bullied and they're in a situation where they're actually in survival mode. You can't do abstract thought when you're in survival mode. And I'm definitely a fan of formative assessments. We do, I do many, many formative assessments. And what I found is that the formative assessments, when the students have success on them, then they build their confidence. Absolutely. And many of the students, they've not, like, uh, like Michelle said, they've not done well on their EOCs or EOGs, and so they don't think they'll do well. And so their confidence level is an issue, and it can impede how well they do on their tests or even on some of the assessments during, during the school year. And so I like giving them many formative assessments that build on the standards and for the most part, I know how my students are going to do yes. on the EOCs. I mean, every now and then, I have a surprise where I'm like, wow, that student did well, did better than I thought. Well, how did that student get that lower grade? But for the most part, I pretty much know how they're going to do because I've seen how they did on the small form assessments during the, during the entire semester. Um, and so, uh, but what I've also found, too, is that if I teach my students to think 
how to critically think, how to analyze literature, um, which is part of the Common Core goals, then how they do on the assessments is they do they do fine. Mm -hmm. um, and I think teachers sometimes get they get too embroiled in teaching to the test. Well, I teach my students to think, and if I teach them to think well enough, um, then the test is not that big a deal. Um, but and also, I try to re remember, I try to tell my students also that the assessment is just a snapshot. It's a one-day snapshot of how you did. Like you said, um, Wendy, on that one day, on Monday, Wednesday, and in, North, in uh, Harnett County in North Carolina, the assessment is 25% of the students' grade. So it it's not as bad as you think it is, though. Okay. Um, uh, but a lot of pressure. Yeah, it, it can be, but as teachers, I, I think we can alleviate some of that pressure by adequately preparing the students. Um, and the teachers in North Carolina are part of the test uh, creation process. I've, I've written several uh, questions for our in-the-course test in 10th grade and our North Carolina final exam for 9th and 11th grade. So in, in North Carolina, the teachers are part of that test development process and part of scoring some of the um, constructive response questions on our NCFE. So uh, North Carolina does a, a pretty good job of involving the teachers in test development. I would love to speak to the unique problems of virtual education with summative testing. Please. Um, virtual summative testing has to be done in person. And so we every year have to set up virtual computer labs all over the state because our school spans the state. Um, the students that are formatively tested at home, um, they get all their instruction from teachers over their um, webcams and in their homes. All of a sudden, they're being pulled out of their homes to come to a hotel or a conference center or wherever these um, mobile labs are set up, and they're going to be tested there. And so they're completely out of their they're completely out of their familiar environment. They're um, with other students when they're usually alone. So I'm sorry, but you're going to test a little differently there. And so whenever I had my students and I was working directly with the, um, the students, I would take them through visualizations. I'd be like, okay, this is going to be where you're going to go, and this is what you're going to see, <laughs> and this is what you're going to smell, and this is what you're going to taste because they're going to have this, you know, little table of goodies, and you're going to sit down, it's going to look just like this. And I would do everything in my power to try to help them visualize what they are about to experience in the SAGE environment or the, that SAGE testing environment. And other than that, you know, it's just kind of you do what you can and then good luck. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's important to also recognize that testing is required. Yeah. It's, it's part of our life no matter which career you choose. And so there are important pieces that we can get from, from each of that. And our goal as educators then has to simply be meet the needs of the standards and the objectives, and the students will do the rest. And if we've done that, then really we can help them visualize, we can soften that by helping them remember that it is just a test, one day, one time, one snapshot, exactly, Guy, of something that they might know. I just tell my students to do the best that they can do and let it go because 
I found that the more stress I put on myself and the more stress I put on them, the more difficult the test becomes for them. So we just talk about how it's information for me, it's good information for them to see the growth that they are making over time. And we kind of leave it at that. But at the same time, if you take away that pressure, they could just go through and click, 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 click. Agreed. They need to have the understanding that it's a test that means something, yes. but also... But also, you're going to be okay. If, yeah, it's going to be all right. Yeah. No one's going to eat so you So please you put time well. into it, but you're not going to be held back. For our audience that aren't seeing this this room right now, Guy was sitting there doing, making camera <laughs> snapshot pictures here. and it, That's exactly what this is. And if students can understand, this is a snapshot of you on that day, that year, that time. And, but you still need to do the best you can because it is a snapshot of you. You want to look your best. Then maybe that will help with, the, with alleviating some of that test anxiety. Um, we have just a couple minutes left. And we always kind of like to talk about passion. So one of the questions I want to ask you guys is, why are you a teacher? What what gets you up in the morning? Why do you want to do this hard job that people sometimes say you're crazy for doing? So, um, whoever would like to start? Well, I'll start. Um, I am a teacher because I I believe in public education. Um, I believe in it it being a uh, being something that can uh, lift uh, people out of poverty um, and. I'm in teaching to inspire my students and to push them beyond where they believe they could go, um, to help them discover themselves, um, discover their interests, discover what they're good at. Um, and one of my one of my former students, I'll, I'll just finish this in in her words. She said to me one day that I was her favorite teacher, and I, I asked her, I said, "Why? Why do? You, why am I your favorite teacher?" She thought about it for a second. She said, "Mr. Hill." You're my favorite teacher because you believe in me when I don't believe in me. And that was very powerful to me. And, and I see that as my role, to push students beyond where they believe they can go um, and to kind of push them out of their comfort zone and kind of stretch their learning and, you know, uh, and, and, but be supportive of them um, in, the same, in the same breath. So that's, that's my passion. That's why I'm a teacher. That's a good reason. Um, I am a teacher because I, I came out wanting to teach. I had a school in my bedroom when I was a little girl. <laughs> I, had, I made my mom buy me chalkboards, and I, I put up posters. I handmade all my posters. I had the alphabet along my ceiling. Um, I had three, um, l three little brothers and a little sister, and I bring them all into my room after school to have a little school with them. And I really wanted my own overhead projector so bad. Really, what I wanted was to play with the teacher supplies, which is interesting because I'm a virtual teacher, so I don't get any of that. I don't get to <laughs> laminate. I don't get to use the overhead. But um, it's very energizing to me. When I teach, I get really excited. By the, end of a, by the end of teaching a lesson, I have chills and I'm sweating. Like I feel so good when I teach. It just energizes me. And obviously, hearing those responses from students like, oh, I hope you're coming back next year, please. My, my child has never learned as much as, you know, from any other teacher. Um, it just, it's, it's intoxicating. It keeps you coming back. I think for me, I always wanted to be a teacher as well. But when I began, I really wanted to change the world. That was my goal. I wanted to change the world. And I came into education with that excitement. 
However, over the years, that excitement has changed to a different passion. It is still to change the world, but understanding that it's student by student is different than trying to do the entire class. You may only, I may only reach one student in the way that they need to be met that year, but that's one student that has had their life changed or their desire to be in education increases because they've been taught in a way that makes sense to them or changes their thinking. Like Guy, I like to push my kids out of their comfort zone. I have a little poster in my room that says, your comfort zone is a very nice place to be, but no growth occurs here. And we work on putting those supports and understandings to them so that they are able to improve and understand that they can do hard things because this world is not very easy. And I love watching them grow and develop and change over time and be sometimes far more successful than I ever thought they could be. But they are able to do that because they know that somebody believes in them. And I, I know that they know that because of their interactions with me later on as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your guys' time today. Let's start over here with Wendy. Uh, why don't you tell us where we can find you on the internets uh, and how people can get in contact with you. On the internets. Probably the best place to find me is to follow me on Twitter at WendyRush16. Um, I'm on Facebook as Wendy Rush uh, UTVA, so you can follow me on Facebook there. It's my professional account. And um, where else can you find me? Hope Street Group. Hope Street Group, yeah. Utah Teaching Fellows. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Um, you can find me at Real Hill BX. Um, to find a browser originally, in case you're wondering what the BX is for. Um, on Twitter. Uh, and I think I'm on the HG, the Hope Street Group, H, uh, Intac, HGS. HSG Tech. I think that's also, you can find me there as well. And you can find me at Twitter. It's at Michelle underscore Rogers. And Michelle is with an A, not an I. I'm also on Facebook as Michelle Rogers. And um, also HSG Utah and Hope Street Group. Excellent. Well, thanks again, guys. Appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.